Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. Welcome back, everyone, to Conversations with Z and Vindesh. And Z, we've been talking today about perspective. So this came up because over the weekend, you were flying a plane. And you were flying from Los Angeles to Catalina, small plane, maybe 10,000 feet off the ground. And from that standpoint, you had a totally different perspective on society. So you're looking down. Number one, you were telling me how you were overcome with these feelings of peace and calm, just stepping back from the day-to-day grind that all of us find ourselves in. And two, when you started to look at the pattern of population and the cities and the way that they're arranged, you saw that there were extremely highly populated areas. And next to those densely populated areas, there were these vast open expanses. And we're not talking about some rural area in the middle of the country. We're talking about Los Angeles. So even within Los Angeles, a very populous city, you've got certain parts where there's a high population density and other parts which are fairly empty. So as we're thinking about this and talking about it, the question is why? Why do we subject ourselves to these conditions where we're all crowding together? And yes, you could argue that maybe historically this served a purpose. So when we were in tribes and we had to defend ourselves, we needed some critical mass, we had to band together. Maybe from that standpoint, we went into a farming community and early agricultural days, uh, we had to make sure that we could protect the land, we had to be by a river. Perhaps there was some critical infrastructure that we had to build up that couldn't serve beyond a particular area, and that forced us all to be uh, co-located in a small space. But that was thousands of years ago. And when we think about life today, there's really no reason why we have to exist in these crowded conditions. And in fact, when you step back, as you did metaphorically, and if you take a dispassionate standpoint, I've often thought that when we think about life in the city, any crowded city, it's almost exactly how we're not supposed to live. So you end up with people who are hyper-competitive, They're all trying to outdo one another. They're trying to make more money, drive better cars, get better jobs. So you end up in a very toxic environment because you're constantly competing against your friends and your neighbors. Everyone you're talking to feels the same way, so it fuels this anxiety. You're wound up. You can't sleep. If you think about the day-to-day, there are a lot of irritations that you deal with just because people are so close to one another. So you've got traffic. That becomes a chronic problem. You have to wait in line to do simple things. And because of the grind and the toll that this extracts on the psyche, people lose patience and they become rude. And you see fights or the petty skirmishes. And it just becomes an environment that's difficult to deal with. It's an energetic drain. It's not conducive to peace of mind. We're in this concrete jungle. Uh, We're not around mountains or rivers or beaches or any sort of nature which restores us and promotes peace of mind. So the question is, why do we do this? Not only why do we do this, why do we strive to live this way? Because we all want to be where the action is. We want to go to the restaurants and the shows and the clubs and live this privileged life, so to speak. 
uh, but we never really ask the question, does this make any sense? We never step back as you did and take that 10,000-foot view and ask, are the choices that we're making serving us? So instead, as we're evolving as individuals and as a species, we just kind of go down the same path until we're hit with some sort of exogenous shock. And in our case today, that was the pandemic. So if you look at the pandemic, it's forced some behavior that you could argue is actually very healthy. It forced us to cut back on travel so we have more time to spend at home. People are telecommuting. They don't have to deal with traffic. We can spend more time with family. We can take control of our food uh, because we're not eating out as much. We're cooking more at home. So that could be a healthier lifestyle. And it might be a more harmonious, more sustainable way of living, yet it's something that was always within reach. It's not like technology changed overnight. We always had the option of living this way. We just never chose to. We collectively decided that it didn't make sense, even though we had the technology and there was that great promise that technology would liberate us from work, it had the opposite effect. It serves as this electronic leash and makes us stay on call 24-7. So it wasn't until this pandemic, this external shock, that we decided, okay, we're going to move in a different direction, try something new. So I think the question from my standpoint, Z, is can we take charge of our evolution? How do we get the perspective to look objectively at the way that we're living and ask whether it makes sense and proactively make better choices instead of just being buffeted around by whatever circumstance happens to carry us along. Uh, And I think of a pinball game. It's almost like we're these balls and we're bouncing off different barriers and ricocheting around, and we're always reacting. How can we get to that more proactive state where we've got a better view of what serves us and we can start making better choices? Vin, I think about... In, in my observation, my experiences, my journey, what what are the the challenges and solutions that I, I I look at? We are modern, yet we are primitive. We are modern primitives in the sense that, though we have come a long way technologically, we haven't really come that far socially. As I was flying over the city. My buddy and I were flying over. First thing that hit me was the serenity of being out of the crowd. Not just out of it, but seeing where the crowd was gave me a deep heartfelt sense of security. That the mess is over there. The mess is down there. I'm nowhere near the mess. And I started observing the trends of people. There were huge swaths of unoccupied lands, even in the city. Next to them would be densely crowded small areas. Flew along the coastline a bit. You see pristine beaches. No one's there. Then you'll see a parking area, whatever, filled with people, not moving more than a few feet away from one another. I think about the consciousness of the dispassionate observer, the opt-out. There is nothing there that I want to be a part of. What do I mean by that? It is not a disdain for humanity. Human beings are 
of a species unique that we can forward or reverse our own evolution using tools of comprehensive intelligence we can forward our own evolution dulling our senses linear intelligence we devolve we go back to a beast-like state what do I mean by that you look at all the to begin the pandemic people were riding over the perception that they may not have supplies that they may need and those supplies were bizarre truckloads of toilet paper um, truckloads of whatever things that this is a very primitive uncivil response to the anticipation of the unknown and on the other hand, you can be an enlightened person, pull back away and observe what are the trends, what are the flows of things, and where do I want to be? Where is a good place for, for me to be? First you, and then you create, hopefully, a pathway for loved ones. But we can move our evolution forward simply by understanding trends. What happened before that wasn't auspicious? And what would have been a path to auspiciousness, to something better? And take that path. We talked last week about being in the time of conserving your resources. All the issues of the day have forced us to back away, change our routines. But many people do it begrudgingly. They don't want to wear the mask or they don't want to social distance. Why? How many people are relevant within your own true social circle? So if we were to poll everyone and you have orbits of people, just like the moon and the earth orbit around the sun, imagine yourself as the sun how many significant celestial bodies orbit around you? So there are people we check in with on a regular basis. That's part of our orbit. Um, there are people that we check in more frequently and less frequently. Can you name and identify them? And you know what? That's your reality. That's your world. Take care of that. Protect that. Build that. And you will find that you don't need to find yourself crowded, congested, contagious, weakened, drained. Being in the plane, you almost fall asleep because there is such serenity in the observation of nature. Something truly divine happens, like when you go sailing or you're out on the open ocean. Or you walk further, for, far enough into the forest to where only the sounds of birds and the animal life there is louder than the sounds of cars and trucks. And you'll notice there are people who go out into the forest and they're terrified because of the silence. That's a sick person. Not knocking them, but that's a sick person. 
that the noise of corruption, destruction, congestion, they find the normalcy of that peaceful. The, as they call it, the eerie quiet of natural solitude to them is horrifying because at that moment they're in the helm of their own evolution. You are completely responsible for yourself. I find that to be a beautiful thing. I think a lot of opt-outs find that beautiful. So now that we're in these days where all is laid naked, the strengths, the failures of this society are all bare. We can see it. We have an opportunity to rebuild and remake ourselves. The pandemic is a blessing in disguise. The idea of social distancing, is it really that difficult to be less participatory in volatile consumerism and the endless pursuit of the endless pursuit? We've asked these questions before. Yet today, I would like then to talk about tools to bring more serenity to the opt-out community. Those tools first start from a concept, an idea. How do you see your world? I said earlier, what is the orbit if you name it? So if I think about the duties of life on a daily basis, you check in if you have young children at home, those are your satellites. If you have a partner and you're in harmony with that partner, that is a auspicious satellite. If you're in conflict with your partner, that is a repulsive satellite that has to be managed more, more so than one that is auspicious. If you have close friends, siblings, parents near you, those are other satellites, and each of those satellites with it contains a characteristic that determines its maintenance as the sun controls the planets in our known, our, our celestial community. So for the opt-outs, we, we like travelers, celestial travelers, look at it and say, hey, where do I want to spend my energy? What do I need to maintain the constant of this reality I have? And the big experiment of the pandemic and all the social stuff going on now is it gives us a evidentiary base, scientific base proof that we don't need a lot. You don't need a lot of people around you. You don't need to go to a lot of things. And the people that are drawn to that may not be the type of people or energy that the opt-out community wants to be a part of. I enjoy athleticism. I'm not a sports fan in the sense. I'm not a rally or sports fan. I do appreciate the pursuit of human greatness in all fields. So I observe it, I watch it, I listen for it, but I don't have to be right there. With the fighting arts, I enjoy the skill of the fighter, but I don't have to get a ringside seat and feel the snot and the blood and the puke splash on me. I, I don't need that. 
I found that those that need that are lacking in their own life. Again, the term need. What do you need? Separating need from want is, is something that the opt-out can do to get clarity on our existence so that we can then begin the building blocks from concept to uh, temporal reality. What do you really need? Do you need to be in big crowds of people? Do you, do you need a lot of folks around you? You don't. You may want that. Do you need it? You don't. Over the weekend, I see a handful of people. I can name everyone I saw over the weekend. The neighborhood kids, their parents, my kids, my wife, uh, my buddy I flew the plane with. I can name everyone I spoke to. I spoke to you. I spoke to my dear friend, uh, Phil Wong. I spoke to my in-laws. It's not that complicated. And my life is rich and fulfilled. So if I was asked to social distance, to shelter in place, it wouldn't be a big deal for me. It wouldn't cause me anxiety. I would not feel claustrophobic. All those illusions, all those phantoms are vestible issues of a bygone past. See, maybe at some point in human history we needed to be around a lot of people. That's my theory. For the sake of the herd. Well, if there were alpha predators, superior predators running around, you want to be around a lot of people so you could be faster than the slowest person. So that person would get eaten or captured or whatever and you wouldn't and you could then work your day, get some sleep and, and be nervous the next day. And then the next day you would go out and you would try and get towards the middle of the crowd. So if the predators were hunting, they would get the easiest game on the outside of the crowd. You'd also want to surround yourself with the ignorant ones in your crowd so that you can easily distract them and entertain them so they would not have high situation awareness so they could get eaten. So most of your life was plotting and planning ways of not getting eaten. So we had different groups we would hang out with. You'd hang out with the competent survivors. You'd hang out with the ignoramuses on one side. You'd hang out with the people who had who were physically challenged. And you would maneuver through those different groups in order to keep yourself alive. We don't need that anymore. But we still create that situation. I did an experiment last week, Vin, where I've been trying to recover from um, some stress issues that are common now. And in my case, of course, we're going through the Kofifi reality for the entrepreneur, for the business owner, for the self-employed. These are warlike times for us, literally warlike. Businesses are closing all over. Um, they're expecting a storm of evictions. Um, people are living month to month, but in a, in, in, in a way that because our consumerism was such at a grand scope, even during times of little, 
that there's so much. We had so much abundance, but it doesn't seem that way. I don't think anybody's really lost weight during the pandemic. Think about that. There hasn't been massive weight losses because the economy is devastated. Isn't that interesting? There hasn't been any areas where people are truly lacking in anything because the sheer momentum of consumerism was so big. The train was so overladen that as this train is decelerating, we don't even know that we're running out of everything. Things are falling apart behind that. The thrust is gone, but the momentum is still there. But for those of us who are in the fray of it, we feel it. We feel it every day. We feel the loss of livelihood. We feel all that. So it produces a lot of stress. So I said, well, you know, I'm going to do things that I can control. There's a lot of things I can't control. What can I control? I control the stress quotient, right? The SQ in my life. I want to work with the SQ in my life, the stress quotient. So I'm not going to listen to as much news as I normally. I, I tend to be a news listening person. So I just cut it off and put on mantras, endless mantras. Om Namah Shivaya. Just all day, that's all I listened to when I was in the car, whenever I would get home, whenever I could. And of course, the first couple of days of that, you're a bit anxious because you want to know, you know, what, what has Trump done today? You know, what is this person or that person done? What, what, what catastrophe? It, it, it is, has been piled upon this particular shit show uh, or, or dumpster fire that we're dealing with right now. And you know, after about 36 hours, I didn't miss any of it. I longed for the vibration sent out by these mantras and chants. Then as the days went by, I found that my blood pressure was ticking back down. Some health issues that were arising up started to subside. My mental clarity came back. All I did was reduce the stress quotient. I didn't resolve a single issue of the day's issues that we're going through. I'm still, we're still wrestling with those. But you know, my stress came down, so I had clarity. In that clarity, you can then plot strategy that creates a better causality that offers a better outcome. When your head isn't clear, you can't see reality anymore. You just see demons everywhere. So I would say for all of us opt-outs to create a baseline of your SQ, your stress quotient, and start like wise people do when they're on the Titanic, is throw ship that you don't need overboard. Reduce the, not on your carbon footprint, but your collective social footprint. Use the meager resources you have now to nurture dynamic, holistic, rich relationships with yourself, with others. Change the narrative of transactional relationships and look for barter-based relationships. What do we get out of each other? What? Look at each person within your, your universe as a planet. You are the sun. How does each one feed you, nurture you? And what does it take from you? And you'd be surprised just standing back and looking how you can reduce that stress quotient while we're going through meager times.
I was observing just the beauty on the horizon and I looked over to the starboard side of the plane as we were flying and I could see look like hell on earth the fire moving towards the city the congestion the traffic the vibration then you look to port and you see an unbelievable potential for peace and grace that is the metaphor for us as a species we can affect our own evolution you work out in a nice way you develop creative movements with your body you evolve and you grow you read good books and surround yourself with intelligent people your mind improves explore life practices in depth and they naturally bring you to serenity cultivate healthy boundaries and associated strategies to manage the diversity of personalities within your universe how do i deal with this person how do i do that one that requires the least amount of energy why think like that because we are living in times of meager energy everybody's tired it's hard life is rough right now but it's life life was never meant to be easy all the time or pleasant life is just life we come into this world through blood and noise and pain and suffering we pass into this world and we find grace and peace and then we leave this world through difficulty and we find eternal peace this is the path of life if we are aware of that path of life we evolve if we learn nothing strive for nothing we devolve as you see with the chaos of the day someone told me the other day they wanted to go boating and they were up uh, near oxnard or port wainemi and they went to go boating beautiful place called the channel islands and they said they had a huge hate parade of boats do you remember point when huge hate parade a bunch of people rented and got on boats and they were blowing horns and spouting out hateful political things and crashing into one another he said my god i had to get the kids out of the water we had to just go somewhere else i said good grief is this is you went to the damn zoo and all the animals had rabies don't go to that zoo turn away and then don't despair because you want to be away like in the plane i enjoyed being away just so i could reset my own mind these have been these have been times of unprecedented stress and but it's a unique time because it's not the stress of 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 dying or hearing of death or the loss of loved ones it's the anxiety that is almost inescapable because nobody knows what's going on and then that is is more contagious than the kofifi itself and the more you talk about it the more worked up you get so to just pull away from that it was like taking a shower
It was like being in Hawaii at the seven uh, pool, the sacred pools in Hana, and just sitting on the waterfall and just being washed of stress. When that happens, your mind clears, your memory fires up, your cognitive faculties are improved, and you can think. Because as we thinketh, so are we. And if we think of nothing but and the, the despair, the fear of what is to come, dwelling in the idea of the unknown in which we want to know, then we can't, we can't even conceptualize a good world. The doctors are saying and the medical associations are saying kidney disease is on the rise. Why? Because we're going into adrenal toxemia. We're not sleeping. I myself have been subjugated to that. We're not resting. We don't see rest in the horizon. The internal negotiators of peace in the inner being have left the table as there is external chaos and anti-peace going on. So too internally we are mirroring that where there is no diplomacy internally. So for us opt-outs we're really striving to come back to the table of personal diplomacy, introspective diplomacy, and then find and negotiate that peace within and in order to have that peace, like any peace negotiation, we're going to have to be willing to give up some land. Give up the land of anxiety, give up the land of control, give up the land of excess consumerism. So we're going to have to do some energetic boycotts. Anything that drains you, let it go and don't invest in it. Anybody that drains you, boycott them. Let's back off the news. Let's just back off everybody. Let's just make up a, a challenge, as they say, to just not get into the news. Because the real news is that time is cooking us and it is unforgiving. That's the real news. Let's not waste our time. Let's guard our time as if they were fine gems. Share yourself openly and freely with that that gives you back. So again, boycott relationships that are toxic. Boycott behaviors that are toxic. Let's work on this thing. You know what I mean, Vin? Yeah, it's interesting to hear you talk about the Z. And I've got a couple of reactions. One, I totally get what you're saying. If I just think about my own experience, a lot of my journey in the last seven years has been this process of letting go. And it's really been letting go of a lot of the things that caused me stress, that did nothing for me, that either I did out of habit or I did because of false beliefs that didn't serve me and that required some re-examination of what I care about and what's in my best interest. So if I just think about the the time that has passed, I used to invest money, and I would do that uh, for myself, and that was causing me a lot of stress. I would spend a lot of time 
paying attention to the market and just constantly checking in and seeing whether I was up or I was down. And it was kind of neither here nor there because I wasn't doing it professionally, so I couldn't be dedicated to it, but I was still doing it and it was a drain on my time and it wasn't paying off because I wasn't taking it seriously enough. And I got to a point where I tried to make it work in so many different ways and I got to a point where I just said, the hell with it. This isn't serving me at all. So I cut that out. And that was something that reduced my stress. Then I think about relationships and just worrying about what people are going to think. I think a lot of my time in the past was this mental frenzy, this imagination of, oh, my goodness, if I do this, what if they do that? And what if I say something and this other person is going to react in a certain way? Or I've got to be careful about what I say or what I do so I don't piss them off. And then if I'm careful and they're okay, maybe I feel resentful because I'm holding myself back. And it just became so complicated. So in that situation, I think with certain relationships, I've set limits and there are boundaries. And I know what I'm going to do. And I know that I'm going to approach them in a way where I'm authentic and where I've got good intentions. uh, But... I can't control other people's reactions. So if they get upset, let them get upset. So be it. I can deal with it. I'm not going to agonize over it. So that took some retraining. I think the whole question of what is a meaningful life, what do I care about? I felt for a long time like I wanted a certain level of success. And then you can ask, what does success even mean? And then you realize that there are a lot of standards that you have for success that don't really mean anything. They're just things that you pick up from society and from people around you, conversations that you have, things that you read. So I had to re-examine what I actually care about. And then that freed up a lot of energy and also reduced a lot of stress because I'm just more content. I'm not always chasing something or not feeling inadequate or beating myself for not being good enough. And when you start to do this, I think it's interesting because you step back, you recognize how pervasive these behaviors are And not just pervasive, but pathological. There's such a tendency in a lot of people to beat themselves up, to self-flagellate, and use that as a means of motivation. So if I can constantly curse myself out and tell myself I'm not good enough, I'm nothing, I've got to try harder, just so I can spur myself to achieve more and get farther ahead, the question is, what am I really attaining? Yeah, maybe I can make more money, maybe I can be more successful in some sort of conventional way. But if I'm sacrificing my peace of mind, if I'm creating anxiety, if I'm wasting the moments of my life, what do I really gain? Uh, Nothing. Uh, But when you're caught up in that, you can't see it. I think it's not until you step back, see, as you did, and you take that 10,000-foot view that you can understand how this stuff isn't self-serving. It's self-destructive. And we need to break out of these habits and these beliefs and do everything we can to minimize the energy we spend on that which does not serve us uh, and chart a course that makes more sense, uh, that it just brings us more contentment, uh, regardless of what people are doing around us. And I think some of it is subtle. So some of it is around beliefs. Some of it is just paying attention to what captivates your attention. Technology is such a huge issue these days. This is an area where I can probably do a better job. Uh, I think I've managed to divorce my attention a bit from the news and uh, from the screen because I find that very destructive. But I've still got the impulse periodically to check my phone, check my computer, 
when I've got a free moment. And I can see what it does. It kind of causes my mind to race. So that's also something that I'm trying to pull back from. Another area which I think is important is uh, things like diet, uh, how much you drink, uh, the things we eat, the things we drink, that affects our body, that affects our ability to sleep, to rest. And if you're waking up or you're tossing and turning at night because uh, you're having digestive issues or the alcohol is preventing you from going to sleep, well, you're going to feel anxious and the next day is going to be a mess. So I recognize that and I've cleaned up some of my diet. Uh, Regular exercise, I think, is another So there are all of these different areas. Uh, You mentioned relationships. I think that's also key. Uh, Just having a certain amount of intimacy, things like physical touch, that can be extremely restorative. Uh, So there are all these areas that we can attack, and I think we can attack them systematically. I'd mentioned on last week's podcast, I was talking to a friend of mine who was going through a very stressful period. And again, it's not that complicated. I think it's difficult to implement but it's easy to diagnose. The problems aren't that that perplexing. Uh, we're not breaking new ground. Uh, we really just need to focus on simple ways to take control of our peace of mind, get rid of the stress, get rid of the things that don't serve us. And the benefit can be tremendous. I mean, as you said, Z, even though external conditions haven't changed a bit, you're still in the same circumstance. You're still dealing with the same harsh economic reality. You just feel better because you've accepted what you can't change. You've focused on activities that provide energy instead of draining energy. Uh, You've cut out the things that destroy your peace of mind. And that can really be transformative. So completely agree with you, Z. I've experienced that on my own. Uh, I can validate what you're saying. One thing I want to challenge you with, and I'm curious what you're perspective is here. Even though there's a lot that we can do independent of the environment, the environment itself does make a pretty big difference. I may have mentioned on one of our podcasts, I spent some time in New Mexico. I was hiking around in a canyon over there. And it was interesting. I was on vacation. I was looking around. And my wife and I and the guide were the only people in this canyon. Uh, Looked around. And as far as you could see, there was no one else And the rock formations were incredible. It was almost like these Gothic structures, but they were completely naturally created. And it was this beautiful sunny day, and the air was perfectly still, a little bit crisp because it doesn't get too hot over there. And I noticed that my mind was just silent. It was like I was stunned into silence. And all of the churning, all of the cogitation, all of the background chatter evaporated. And I was there and I was present and it was just this incredible feeling. And I have felt that at other times. I mean, not to the same extent, uh, but one of the other things I've gotten out of this pandemic is that because my schedule is more flexible, I have time to walk outside. I can go uh, to areas. There's a nice reservoir around where I live, which is beautiful. And you see this open expanse and that's always very clarifying uh, for me. Uh, So there's certain things that I can do and certain ways to create that stillness. But I find that the environment is a huge impact. I mean, in a sense, there's no way of getting around it. You know, you're dealing with all of the stimulus from a big city. You're dealing with people's drama, even if you try and avoid that and hunker down. I feel like some of it is just impossible to avoid. You're out on the street, you're paying attention uh, to what's happening with people around you. 
even if you can insulate yourself from that, other people in your family might not be able to, and they bring their problems back, and then that creates this anxiety cycle all over again. So how should we think about that, See, I mean, is there anything that we can do about the environment? You know, practically, we have to live. Not all of us have the resources to just pick up and say, forget it. I'm going to build a compound in a pristine mountain somewhere and spend most of my time over there. A lot of us are where we are, and maybe we can change over time, but we can't do so immediately. How do we deal with these environmental factors? And Or do we even need to? I mean, can we do enough uh, just with our own internal conditions that we don't have to worry so much about the environment? What are your thoughts on that? Well, Van, I think the first part is work on what's called involution. How can you change you? Put a lot of the... We have a... a a limited burden of energy every day we could use. So how you use your energy, and, and you think about, uh, there's a metric of energy known as BTUs, basic thermal units. If you ever buy a uh, air conditioner or a heater, it'll tell you the amount of BTUs it, it, it uses and can produce to, in order to cool or heat your home. We too have BTUs, basic thermal units, basic energetic units that we exchange for what we call a certain quality of life. And the first place that you adjust the quality of your life is in the involution, the changing your own mind, changing the way you think. And then from there, that stewards in the evolution. And so if you have a set burden of energetic units every day you can use, then you want to be economical with those thermal units. We talked about the boycott, so to say, the material boycott. What about the energetic boycott? Also, when you're bartering and sharing BTUs, what can you do and what can uh, the person you're bartering with can do in order for you both to get a good deal on BTUs, basic thermal units? One of the first things I think of is don't need a lot. When you go internal and you deeply have a a true connection to gratitude, right away you, you don't need that much. Then what you do need, what you do need or what you would like, you're very clear on what that is. And then having that involution of transcendence of the ego, you can make that very clear to the people within your space. Thus, you expend fewer thermal units. Teach first by example and then by requisition. Show people how to get more out of less then as that starts to change, your thinking starts to change. I was speaking to someone about property. So I could buy this property in the city and I could do this rental property, then I'll hire a management agency and they'll do this and they'll do that. It's actually my son I was talking to. I said, oh really, you want to do all that? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, what about just buy an open space of land and live in peace that you can afford on your salary? He said, you know, we thought about that too. Um, but then we were talking to somebody about just growing their uh, their portfolio. 
I said, grow it into what? What is it that you want? What do you need? And what's valuable to you? He said, well, I really, my wife and I just, we're happy with each other. We want a good future together. What is a good future? That's involution. Then he described his good future. He says, you know what, Dad, you're right. I really don't want to do all that because I would completely be immersed in managing the managers that manage my resources. And so he said, you know, we're going to look for a nice piece of property that's easily tended to, that's somewhat away from people. I said, yeah. He says, yeah, and I can work that, no problem. By the time I'm your age, I've been retired 15 years. I said, yeah, man. Then you can just go work on involution and grow your mind. Work on levitating. Work on conjuring and teleporting. Because you're not dealing with the chaos every day. All your humanly resources and fire is not used to keep an unsatisfiable kennel going. So then it's really go involution first, followed by steady upward evolution with a nice measure of critical analysis. Learn from what is playing out today. Do you want to be a frothy mouth, hate-feel, political aficionado? Or do you want to find that soft space in your heart where you can just live and let live? It just costs less emotionally, spiritually, and materially. Involution, then evolution. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, Z, I think that what you're saying makes sense. In a sense, that's probably the path that I've come across, even without thinking about it in that nice way that you're putting it, which is you can only control so much at any given point in time. You start with yourself. You start on the things that are causing you stress, the way that you interact with other people, the way that you think about life, the comparisons that you make, the way that you spend your time, uh, what you put in your body. And all these things, I think, number one, are a good start. And number two, the part that maybe I didn't appreciate as much, although as you're talking, it's interesting if you can gain control of yourself and be that example, that does begin to influence the environment around you. So I think about even family. And if you provide an example of a life that is less stressful, that is more fulfilling, that is a step away from the madness. It's almost like an oasis. People are walking through some apocalyptic wasteland, and there's just devastation all around. And they come across this oasis, maybe not of perfect tranquility, but of contentment. Then suddenly that changes their behavior. And even if it doesn't happen immediately, it sparks a certain interest. How did you get there? What have you done? It opens up the mind and people become more willing uh, to consider different ways of thinking, different ways of living. So I do really like the way that you've put it. Uh, Start with the involution and then that leads to the evolution. It creates more opportunity. It creates maybe some natural momentum. You start attracting people who share a like-minded view 
that becomes self-sustaining. You can build your own communities. As we talked about last time, you find a core network or group of people that you enjoy interacting with. You can take care of each other if you need to. You can have more intelligent conversations. You can step away from the discussions of being a victim uh, of all the petty gossip, uh, the fear-mongering about what's going to happen in the presidential election. And you can move to a better place. Uh, And then maybe over time, that does create more options. And I guess if you're careful about it, in the meantime, you manage your resources, you live within your means, and you do have the opportunity to retire, to move to a different place, uh, to buy in a different location. Uh, So I think that that makes a lot of sense. And even if we can't change the external circumstances and all the madness around us, the nice thing about the involution, I don't think many of us have scratched the surface. Uh, And it's kind of like that lake you describe sometimes when you talk about the truth, that the truth is like a deep lake and there are many layers to it. There's so many ways that we can cultivate peace of mind, that we can reduce stress, we can reduce energy. There are obvious things we can do, just bad habits that we have. We can change the people that we spend time with. But if we start digging below that and start really paying attention to the nature of the mind, we can intercept the frenzy that causes a lot of stress, just the natural churning that we go through. If we start worrying about what's going to happen with the pandemic, we can. maybe the analogy is exactly what you described at the beginning. It's being able to take that 10,000-foot perspective. So if we pay attention to the nature of the mind and we see that we're falling victim to the fear, the anxiety, we can step back and say, does this make any sense? Or we can step back and say, am I okay? Are things all right in the moment? Okay, I can breathe. I can relax. I can accept the fact that I can't control the future, but I don't have to worry about that. All I have to do is live the present moment. That takes a certain amount of awareness, and that can be transformative. Uh, But to your point, Z, that doesn't require any shift in our actual physical conditions. It just requires a shift in the way that we manage our energy and we manage our attention. Uh, Relationships are, I think, another great example. Those can be an incredible drain, but if we're able to set boundaries, if we're able to listen with an open heart at times, instead of getting into just a reactive mode where we're escalating. And I think about my kids sometimes because I see the same behavior in my kids as I do with just your average person on the street. It's a game of escalation. It's a game of ego. Uh, There's no attempt to understand the other side. Uh, There's just an attempt to enforce a point of view or extract or take. Uh, And that just leads to more and more of an energy expenditure. It leads to more stress and more conflict. Uh, But if we can change our approach to how we interact with people and either listen or avoid or use some of these techniques to, uh, to navigate this minefield more intelligently, that also can be a source of transformation. Uh, things, basic things, sleep habits, uh, technology breaks, these give us rest. This actually allows us to sleep, which I think is a huge problem that people have. Uh, because even if you can control uh, maybe the gross sources of stress, if you're not getting rest, you're just going to wake up and you're not going to feel good. And you're going to be in this anxious state and your health is going to break down. And that's going to lead to further problems. 
So I do like this framework that you've laid out of the involution first, followed by the evolution. And maybe the evolution isn't even something that we need to worry about right now. I think it's something nice to keep in mind uh, because we do want that North Star. And perhaps if we recognize that there's a certain lifestyle we want, we can keep on moving in that direction and that guides some of our choices. But from a day-to-day standpoint, Z, the involution is much more important. It's paramount. And there's a lot more we could do with it than perhaps we think. Uh, And I'm curious what your perspective is working with people, because even from my standpoint, I'm more of the layperson. Uh, I'm not dealing with people in a professional capacity day to day uh, with their problems and with their health. Uh, But I am talking to, to friends and talking to family and just seeing and observing some of the challenges that they go through. And it's a lot of what you've pointed out in the past, that we become our own worst enemy. We create a lot of the problems that we face just through our habits, our behavior, the beliefs that we hold, the tendency to constantly check the news and look for reassurance, and then we don't feel reassured, and then we look some more, and then we talk to other people and friends and try and get more reassurance. And it just turns into a cycle which, number one, causes anxiety. Number two, it never ends. There's no stop to it. It's this constant wheel that we're on. And I think when you have that perspective and you're able to step back, you can see it. But when you're caught up in it, it becomes very difficult to to navigate and to make changes. It, maybe you can share some of your experience, Z, when you've helped people through this and helped them with this involution. What exercises do you give them so that they can create some of that perspective, get that 10,000-foot view, and start to understand where they're making mistakes? Well, you always have to use stories and metaphors in order to get people out of their own way because the ego will always block any criticism or critique of the way things are. I oftentimes use uh, historical references. I think about during one of the great wars, I was reading an article how the people in a particular town were cut off from all resources and supplies. And all the people in the small town gathered together and they um, were kind people to start. So they said, we don't know how long we're going to be here, but all of us have a skill or an ability that we'll meet daily here and we'll ask each other, how are you doing and what can I do to help? That's how we will greet each other. There was one woman who was really good at making bread. There was another person who was really good at finding the wheat and resources and milling the flour needed for bread. There was another person who was really good at extracting oils. There was someone else who would go out and get um, different roots and truffles and things like that. And so these people were growing through a horrific time outside. The very way that they greeted each other is, hey, how are you and what can I do for you? As opposed to starting out with I need, I need, I need. And they were able to flourish and evolve and remain civil and good to one another. And they had a sustainable community that survived the great catastrophe. I find that one of the things that 
has taxed my health the most is through these difficult challenges time. Well, through these difficult times, we don't need a lot of things. And one of the biggest things that I found that helped was kindness. People will call me. They won't ask how the kids are doing. How are you doing? Give me the update on you and how can I be supportive? They'll immediately go into what they need. Somebody texted me the other day and went through a list of medical problems they had and wanted me to immediately get back to them. They didn't ask how I was doing, how the kids, how are we weathering the storm, and what would be the fee for my time? What would be the fee for my time? Because they understood, in the, even in their own blindness and primitiveness, that they saw me as a magnanimous person who gains an enrichment of my soul by supporting the forward evolution of humanity and doing what I can in the service of others. But there is a cost to that. There is a BTU. There are many thermal units involved in that exchange. So against my habit nature, I did something I normally don't do. I didn't return their call. And I've learned to let go of those people right now because we are all on the lifeboat. We are all in that village surrounded by despair, trying to maintain our civility. This is not the time to demand of others things. This is the time to offer yourself even more. And then wait for the response. Also, it is a time to receive what you need without rejection because we are in times of despair and diminished resources, emotionally, spiritually, cosmically, and materially. So I would say, Vin, the boycott of the inauspicious energy, manage your BTUs, listen carefully to people around you, think about what they offer you, what they give you? What credit have they developed with you? I'm not saying in a cold-hearted way, but in a way that we're in those, we're in desperate times. They might not be materially desperate for everybody, but they are energetically desperate. What happens to the least of us will happen to the most of us. So let's keep our eye, let's keep that 10,000 foot view of things and begin to change our own projections. Take ownership of it. What do you need? What can I do for you? Is there anything I can do to help? Yeah, I can do that and maybe I can, maybe all I can do is listen. And now it's your turn. Now I'm gonna reach out to you. So we'll be like those people in the village that each person brought to the village square something they needed that promoted life and well-being and civility and humanity and higher levels of consciousness. That's where we're at right now. Yeah, Z, I think that what you're saying makes sense. In a sense, that's probably the path that I've 
come across, even without thinking about it in that nice way that you're putting it, which is you can only control so much at any given point in time. You start with yourself. You start on the things that are causing you stress, the way that you interact with other people, the way that you think about life, the comparisons that you make, the way that you spend your time, what you put in your body. And all these things, I think, number one, are a good start. And number two, the part that maybe I didn't appreciate as much, although as you're talking, it's interesting if you can gain control of yourself and be that example, that does begin to influence the environment around you. So I think about even family. And if you provide an example of a life that is less stressful, that is more fulfilling, that is a step away from the madness. It's almost like an oasis. People are walking through some apocalyptic wasteland, and there's just devastation all around. And they come across this oasis, maybe not of perfect tranquility, but of contentment. Then suddenly that changes their behavior. And even if it doesn't happen immediately, it sparks a certain interest. How did you get there? What have you done? It opens up the mind and people become more willing uh, to consider different ways of thinking, different ways of living. So I do really like the way that you've put it. Uh, Start with the involution and then that leads to the evolution. It creates more opportunity. It creates maybe some natural momentum. You start attracting people who share a like-minded view. Uh, That becomes self-sustaining. You can build your own communities As we talked about last time, you find a core network or group of people that you enjoy interacting with. You can take care of each other if you need to. You can have more intelligent conversations. You can step away from the discussions of being a victim, uh, of all the petty gossip, of the fear-mongering about what's going to happen in the presidential election. And you can move to a better place. Uh, And then maybe over time that does create more options. And I guess if you're careful about it, in the meantime, you manage your resources, you live within your means, and you do have the opportunity to retire, to move to a different place, uh, to buy in a different location. Uh, So I think that that makes a lot of sense. And even if we can't change the external circumstances and all the madness around us, the nice thing about the involution I don't think many of us have scratched the surface. Uh, And it's kind of like that lake you describe sometimes when you talk about the truth, that the truth is like a deep lake and there are many layers to it. There's so many ways that we can cultivate peace of mind, that we can reduce stress, we can reduce energy. There are obvious things we can do, just bad habits that we have. Uh, We can change the people that we spend time with. But if we start digging below that and start really paying attention to the nature of the mind, we can intercept the frenzy that causes a lot of stress, just the natural churning that we go through. If we start worrying about what's going to happen with the pandemic, we can maybe the analogy is exactly what you described at the beginning. It's being able to take that 10,000-foot perspective. So if we pay attention to the nature of the mind, and we see that we're falling victim to the fear, the anxiety, we can step back and say, does this make any sense? Or we can step back and say, am I okay? Are things all right in the moment? 
okay, I can breathe. I can relax. I can accept the fact that I can't control the future, but I don't have to worry about that. All I have to do is live the present moment. That takes a certain amount of awareness, and that can be transformative. Uh, but to your point, Z, that doesn't require any shift in our actual physical conditions. It just requires a shift in the way that we manage our energy and we manage our attention. Uh, relationships are, I think, another great example. Those can be an incredible drain, but if we're able to set boundaries, if we're able to listen with an open heart at times, instead of getting into just a reactive mode where we're escalating. And I think about my kids sometimes, because I see the same behavior in my kids as I do with just your average person on the street. It's a game of escalation. It's a game of ego. Uh, there's no attempt to understand the other side. Uh, there's just an attempt to enforce a point of view or extract or take. Uh, and that just leads to more and more of an energy expenditure. It leads to more stress and more conflict. Uh, but if we can change our approach to how we interact with people and either listen or avoid or use some of these techniques to, uh, to navigate this minefield more intelligently, that also can be a source of transformation. Uh, things, basic things, sleep habits, uh, technology breaks, these give us rest. This actually allows us to sleep, which I think is a huge problem that people have. Uh, because even if you can control uh, maybe the gross sources of stress, if you're not getting rest, you're just going to wake up and you're not going to feel good. And you're going to be in this anxious state and your health is going to break down. And that's going to lead to further problems. So I do like this framework that you've laid out of the involution first, followed by the evolution. And maybe the evolution isn't even something that we need to worry about right now. I think it's something nice to keep in mind uh, because we do want that North Star. And perhaps if we recognize that there's a certain lifestyle we want, we can keep on moving in that direction and that guides some of our choices. But from a day-to-day -day standpoint, Z, the involution is much more important, it's paramount, and there's a lot more we could do with it than perhaps we think. Uh, and I'm curious what your perspective is working with people, because even from my standpoint, I'm more of the layperson. Uh, I'm not dealing with people in a professional capacity day-to-day -day, uh, with their problems and with their health, uh, but I am talking to, to friends and talking to family and just seeing and observing some of the challenges that they go through and it's a lot of what you've pointed out in the past, that we become our own worst enemy. We create a lot of the problems that we face just through our habits, our behavior, the beliefs that we hold, the tendency to constantly check the news and look for reassurance, and then we don't feel reassured, and then we look some more, and then we talk to other people and friends and try and get more reassurance. And it just turns into a cycle which, number one, causes anxiety. Number two, it never ends. There's no stop to it. It's this constant wheel that we're on. And I think when you have that perspective and you're able to step back, you can see it. But when you're caught up in it, it becomes very difficult to, to navigate and to make changes. It, maybe you can share some of your experience, Z, when you've helped people through this and helped them with this involution. What exercises do you give them so that they can create some of that perspective, get that 10,000-foot view, and start to understand where they're making mistakes. That's right, Vin. The pandemic and all the stuff going on, the politics, the fires, they can all be great teachers, or they can all be 
the great instruments of suffering. It's really up to us. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.